0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Steven Robles. And today we're gonna look at what Apple will be bringing this year in 2022. There's some new accessories for iPhone and Mac and more. This episode is brought to you by Truebill and Masterclass. And for this very first episode of the year, my friend Wes Hilliard is joining me. What's going on, Wes?
1: Hey, Steven, uh, just dealing with whatever sickness is going around that isn't COVID, so.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's all over. Just been coughing, you know, that fun stuff. Yeah, and it's like getting a cold is now hyper stressful because it's like, is it a cold or is it COVID? <laughs> that's, that's the game show we're all playing now you can, I mean, you can still get cold, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not this, uh, all COVID or nothing. I saw some news article saying
1: something like, uh, first person with COVID and the flu, and they're calling it like, like it was some combination of words of co- uh, coronavirus and flu or some nonsense. And I was just like, get, get out of here. I don't want any of this. <laughs> I thought
0: you were going to say Cthulhu. Cause it's like, co-flu. yeah, yeah, there we go. That's, <laughs> you
1: know? that's probably what it was.
0: Well, well, this is not a COVID episode. And so we're, we will try not to, cough. well, I'm going to edit all the coughs out. So, you know, we might have a two hour recording uh, edited down to 45 minutes. So we'll see. <laughs> but I wanted to say, if you missed our 2021 year interview episode, special guest Jason Aten joined me. It was the longest show. I think I've done an Apple Insider yet. It was like two hours, but it was a lot of fun. We went through everything Apple announced in 2021, kind of our favorites from the year, looking back at those things. And now in this episode, we're going to look forward to see what Apple will be bringing this year. Mark Gurman had some leaks and rumors that he believes things that we should be looking for in this next year. And Apple actually announced some things that are definitely coming. So we'll talk about that as well. I do want to mention that it's CES this week. And so CES is over as you listen to this recording. Andrew O'Hara was actually there in person. And so we do a big roundup on the HomeKit Insider episode that comes out this Monday. So check it out. There was some awesome HomeKit announcements and devices. But, you know, there's not a lot of other Apple news aside from smart home kind of stuff. I have a couple bullet points just because I think this stuff is funny because just there's just wild stuff that gets announced at CES, which if you didn't know, is the Consumer Electronics Show. Happens, I was going to say every year in Las Vegas, but it didn't happen last year because of COVID. So this was kind of the, the first one back. It was in person, even though many companies dropped out last minute.
1: CES is one of those shows that's been around forever. I remember... I don't know, maybe a decade ago when mm. this and E3 and everything was all happening back to back to back. Uh, th- like the first six months of the year was just convention time right. um, for, for nerds, you know, video games and electronics. And just like E3 kind of has died off over the years, so has CES. It's turned into fancy smart lights and cars. And the, the cars have become more and more part of the show over the last few years. And I'm actually kind of excited by that. I, I really like the idea of more technology getting to vehicles Uh, did you see any of the cool cars before we get into the tech stuff
0: i did i mean i did see that there were some ev cars announced which is cool i didn't see any specific technology there was a
1: a bmw yeah you'll have to look up this uh, this video maybe we will put a link in yeah there's a bmw that is covered in e-ink so you can change the color from black to white on command what the entire car is e-ink yes
0: All right. That's pretty. (laughs) It's it's
1: really fancy. Yeah. you, You can see it in action and it's, it's, it takes about three or four seconds for the whole thing to change. So it's not on off. It's kind of like a like smooth transition. It's really fancy. It's like the, it's like, okay, I don't know why I would need this other than hiding from the police, but this is really cool.
0: That's amazing.
1: I think could change your license plate while it's
0: doing that, <laughs> especially while you go through a red light, but well, I'm sure that's not the intention. <laughs> you know, that actually made me think this was not a CES announcement. But if you've never heard of this technology, it's called Vanta Black, and basically, it's this material that I don't know. I don't know if it absorbs all colors or absorbs zero colors, but it is a, a compound that is like 100% black. And I'll put a link to this website. The website is Suriano Systems, and they have kind of been developing this technology. But you put this on anything, and it literally looks like a hole, whether if you hold a piece of it in your hand, like they have a picture of it. I'll put this as the chapter art, of course, so you could see it. But you can put this on your hand, and it literally looks like there's a hole in your hand. Like no light or color is reflected in it. And they actually have a BMW, which made me think of it, covered in this Vanta Black material. And it looks amazing because... You, there's just nothing blacker than this. You know, it's just kind of a, a pretty cool material, whatever it's called. So I'll put a link to that website if you're curious, but I, I'm down for cars being covered in e-ink and stuff. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet.
1: All right. Oh, and and the last thing on cars, we can move on. Yeah. Um, Sony announced their electric vehicle. What? I missed that. So yes, Sony, entertainment announced their electric vehicle so that gives me hope for an apple car if sony can do it
0: wow i mean come on
1: apple's right
0: behind them. sony is gearing up to make its own electric cars yep I will put this. It actually doesn't look half bad either. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, You know, sedan. What is that? Like a crossover? Like a a, a sedan ate an SUV and stopped halfway kind
0: of thing? (laughs) Yeah, it's like my Kia Soul. It's one of those crossover uh, terrible things. But anyway, I will put uh, that link in show notes. It's pretty slick. So uh, some other things announced at CES that I just thought was hilarious. LG announced a 97-inch 4K television. It's rumored to come out at $40,000. So if you just want the biggest TV available. TCL which is a technology company. You know, they make TVs, if you've heard, seen them in like the stores. They're working on some AR glasses, which I think was interesting just because, you know, all the rumors about Apple doing AR glasses. They actually are also working on them using some kind of micro LED display, using optical holographic waveguide technology. I don't know what all those words mean, but cool, they're working on it. TP-Link has a Wi-Fi 6E wireless router with motorized rotating antennas this thing looked wild. Like, I guess it would follow you around the house to optimize the Wi-Fi connection to your device, I guess. That was interesting. Next up is a drone that shoots Wi-Fi <laughs> at you with lasers. Yeah. And wireless power that has been d- developing. And did, then, you,
1: did you see the Samsung TV remote that charges using Wi-Fi?
0: Oh, my goodness. Was this a CES thing? Yeah, this
1: was CES, yeah. Like, I missed that one Are you watching TV. the same conference? I, I, well, I'm Apple
0: watching TV. our coverage on it, which was mostly smart home stuff. So, okay, so a Samsung remote that charges over Wi-Fi, is that it?
1: Yeah, it's like a TV remote you never have to charge because it's oh, it, like whatever Wi-Fi radio signal it's getting is enough to keep it alive, to keep it.
0: Whoa, going. that's wild. Yep, I found that too. This last thing I thought was hilarious was Kohler, which makes kitchen and bathroom like fixtures and stuff. They have a self-filling tub which I guess you can uh, tell it, hey, fill the tub and it will fill it and you don't have to worry about it overflowing, which there's there's actually some smart home faucets like that, like pot fillers, where you can say fill this pot or fill one cup of water and it will do it based on just your voice command, which is pretty sweet. And now uh,
1: you can do a whole tub. Well, Stephen, I mean, didn't you grow up seeing all the same cartoons I did where uh, many of them featured a tub overflowing? This was going to be a real problem as an adult, and now it's right. fixed. Yeah. And we have we have the solution. It's technology. We have the technology. Very good. I, I do want to point out one not CES announcement. Yeah. Um, Linksys did do an update. They updated their logo for their app. They still have not given us HomeKit router support for... Uh, minus Steven's very specific router. For whatever reason, this router that we have, I've, yes. I it's
0: AX whatever, fifty three hundred, yeah,
1: yeah, fifty three hundred does not have all the other ones do. Every other one, but our router. They just they heard us talk about it on the podcast and decided, you know what, these guys aren't getting HomeKit router support. Oh, so, hard. but they have a new logo, so that's great.
0: Wes, well, so you really put me on an emotional roller coaster in five seconds because, <laughs> well, and the reason why is where I'm living right now. We actually switched to a fiber internet connection, gig service, which A is incredible. I get like 900 down and up, which is amazing. But they gave free like Eero Pro routers. And the person's house, like he wanted to go ahead and switch to those so they can sit here even after we move into our new house later this year. And so we've been using the Eero Pros, and my Linksys Velop system has not been hooked up. So an update could have come through, and I wasn't aware of it. And as you went into that, I, I thought, is it true? Could it have happened? And then no, you crushed my dreams once again.
1: I'm here for you, Steven. Yeah. Thanks a
0: lot. Thanks a lot. Anyway, you should check out all of our CES coverage on appleinsider.com and HomeKit Insider. Check out Monday's episode. We talk a lot about smart home stuff that was announced uh, at CES. So that's pretty cool. First thing I just wanted to mention quickly, Apple is now officially the first company to pass a $3 trillion market cap. Their stock briefly hit $182.86 which made them the first $3 trillion market valuation company ever, which Mike Peterson on Apple Insider had the article and he like he threw in this little like jab and says it's bigger than the economy of the United Kingdom. I guess $3 trillion is bigger than the entire UK economy, which is, it's insane. Apple is just worth a ton of money. It's actually dropped since then as you listen to this episode, so they're not $3 trillion anymore, but they hit it first. They were also the first to hit $2 dollars. So, and one trillion dollars. Yeah, oh, and one trillion dollars. Yeah. So, listen, uh, if you didn't realize it, Apple's pretty successful and they make a lot of money. That's what that means.
1: Remember when everyone was fussing over Microsoft overtaking Apple, uh, oh, for, yes. like briefly last year, and now, yes, yes. now they're at three trillion dollars. Remember, though, uh, market cap is a meaningless metric. It's multiplying the number of stocks available to buy by how much they're worth, basically. And it's a total, total arbitrary number, but for some reason, people who watch the stock market really like it, but yeah, like three, it's worth $3 trillion by its stock value. So it's not like how much money they have to spend or whatever, no. but they still have what Uh $25 billion just sitting in a bank account in Switzerland. So
0: I think it, it might even be more than that. Supposedly, I just searched and there's some articles here from 2021 that they might have Close to $200 billion cash on hand. This was, I guess, almost a year ago. So, I mean, it could be very different. But, yeah, they, they have a lot of cash on hand. Like, they're doing fine. We don't have to worry about Apple going anywhere anytime soon. Well, it's it's just when you think about
1: these numbers, it's it's good to put it in context. So, yeah, uh, real, real quick, I wanted to look up how much was the Apple campus worth? Was it like $4 billion?
0: This one is from 2019. It says... That Apple Spaceship Campus valued at over four billion dollars, which in, in the current real estate market, in two years after this, or three years, almost three years, it might be who knows, six, seven billion, a lot.
1: So yeah, in my well, yeah, who who knows how inflation works. The <laughs> Apple Park page we have on Apple Insider. Uh, inside apple park is 4.17 billion dollars is the main building that doesn't include the campus or the glendening barn that they restored and put in a corner so yeah just think about it though 4 billion is the entire spaceship campus the largest office building in the world kind of thing well one of them yeah i'm sure there's a bigger one in dubai but um (laughs) (laughs) it's just like 4 billion and then you said what they had to over 200 billion dollars so they could build just 50 more of these things <laughs> and have <laughs> That's money an int- left over.
0: That's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. They have a lot of money, like just sitting around, so they're doing okay. So I want to look forward to what Apple will be releasing this year, or what possibly they'll be releasing this year. Mark Gurman, you know, he's got his weekly power on newsletter. He's usually pretty accurate when it comes to Apple leaks and devices. And a lot of these things are just kind of, no duh, like Apple's going to be releasing these this year. First thing I want to talk about is the redesigned MacBook Air with M2 chip, which we've had rumored MacBook Air renders and redesigns. John Prosser leaked some renders. It's been floating around. It seems like this might be the big MacBook Air redesign. Mark Gurman said in his newsletter this past, past week that it's probably the biggest MacBook Air redesign, which to be honest, the MacBook Air hasn't changed a ton since it was launched. I mean, even the M1 MacBook Air still matches the design pretty closely. So I think it's due for a, a big redesign.
1: Yeah, and it launched in 2008, and it had aluminum unibody this whole time. It kind of shifted from that early MacBook plasticky screen to the retina, and that changed the look of the interior, but right. overall, the design has been pretty much identical, and this this thing, whatever they're about to announce, is going to be a huge shift, Um, specifically like uh, the slope that's always marked the MacBook Air, right. and the chassis is going to be gone, apparently. It's going to be so thin that making a slope probably wouldn't leave enough room for the trackpad. Had to exist. So it'll definitely be an interesting device. We're actually working on renders right now. Our uh, render person is putting together some M2 MacBook Air renders, Ooh. and we'll have an article on that sometime on Friday. So whenever you're listening to this, keep an eye on Apple Insider. We'll have some renders for you to look at.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I'm very curious as the rumors are saying no more tapered design, like you were saying, that slope or teardrop shape, however you want to call it, which has been iconic to the MacBook Air. I'm really interested if they're going to get rid of that, just make it flat. A, how thin is it going to be? I mean, it has to at least have a USB-C style port on the side, which if you look at a current MacBook Air is pretty close to that thickness. I guess you could make the lid thinner and then the bottom chassis Thicker.
1: Fun facts. The thickest part of a MacBook Air is actually thicker than a MacBook Pro. So they have some space to wiggle here. Okay. If they bring it down to a thickness that's slightly thinner than the MacBook Pro, I believe that they'll be fine. And of course, this will mean less battery space, which means a lighter overall design. I I think this thing's going to be stupid light oh, for sure. blow in the way in the wind kind of thing. So we'll, we'll see.
0: Did you ever hold the 12 inch MacBook? I did. I had a 12 inch MacBook for a little while, actually super light. And it was, it was amazing how portable that thing was. I did love it.
1: Yeah. So think, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, yeah, it had a slope design as well. I, I'm thinking we're going to see something kind of like that, just the same thickness all the way through. Yeah. That thing was amazing. So imagine that body with a bezel display with a notch, and that's pretty much your MacBook Air, is is my guess.
0: Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. I'm also very curious about the whole M2 naming convention. It makes sense, because M1 went into the MacBook Air base-level MacBook Pro, which German says will also get a refresh, most likely with the M2 chip. And, you know, I understand pros and prosumers will understand the difference between M1 Pro and M1 Max, but I feel like there is going to be some discrepancy when we get to an M2 chip which is out and is really part of the advertising. You know, even when A12 was in the iPhone, but the iPad Pro would have an A12X, Apple usually didn't promote or market the chip names as much. I mean, it would be on the website and you'd be able to see what it is, but it wouldn't be like a selling feature. I feel like the M1 was such a a big part of the marketing of those initial devices. And now M1 Pro and M1 Max are a big part of the MacBook Pro lineup, assuming that will also be a big part of the Mac Mini and larger iMac. Um, So I'm curious, are they actually gonna do M2 while the M1 Pro and M1 Max are still out there? Or are they going to do something different? You think so? Well, I
1: mean, I don't know how else you're going to name it. Is it going to be N1? Uh, are we going to just move yeah. uh, to a new letter? Uh, the numbers, M1A, A. I, do I, I don't know. I, Apple's painted themselves in a, in a corner naming wise. It's it's going to be an M2. If they come out with any other chip name, I would be very surprised.
0: They could, though, do an M2 in the MacBook Air and at the same time announce the larger iMac, or even Mac Pro, and then put an M2 Pro and M2 Max yeah. in those, and then the whole lineup will be on M2.
1: The problem with that is, is we're not there yet. I mean, like listen to the ATP guys talk about this. They go yeah, yeah. way into they detail, do, they do. but it's, it's just one of those things where it, it's a cyclical nature. The, the people buying these computers who care about chips understand. The consumers who are going out here and buying a MacBook Air probably don't even care what chips inside of it. They, they probably don't even know if it's not Intel, but Apple's going to advertise that M2. The people buying the iMac Pro or 27-inch iMac with an M1 Max in it, they know what they're getting. Right, they know right. it's more powerful than the M2. It's it's one of those things where you got to think about who they're selling it to. The, right. the, the prosumer or high-end professional, any of those people, should know better. Um, and even if they don't, they can easily be told, oh, M2 just means it came out more recently. doesn't mean it's faster. It's faster than the M1 because the M1 Pro and M1 Max are basically multiples of the M1. If you want to go super layman's right. terms here. Right. So the M2, I don't think the technology is going to be there, at least not for, I think Apple's just going to tread these out slowly year by year, yeah. uh, like the M2 Pro and M2 Max won't be until 2023 and that's fine. We don't need it.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. Well, and also, German mentioned in the same newsletter that an iPad will be released this year with wireless charging. And man, I've been thinking about this since I read it, and it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I have an iPad mini, I've had an 11-inch, I also have the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, and I just can't imagine a kind of wireless charging that would be desirable for these devices. You know... Speed aside, you know, obviously it would take much longer to charge those devices over MagSafe even. And just the practical implications of lining up a wireless charger to an iPad size back, you would either have to have a dinner plate size MagSafe circle, so it lines up easily. Or if you have the same size MagSafe puck as with the iPhone, but an iPad is compatible, I feel like that would be a lot of fishing around for the area for MagSafe charging.
1: So I don't does this make any sense to you? I think this is Mark German fishing for things. It's possible that we could get wireless charging on an iPad. I mean, technically we've had it before with the smart connector and that didn't work out too well just because the smart connector is not great at charging. It's just a good for p- providing power to a keyboard and Apple obviously gave up on that very quickly. I could see like right now I'm using a stand for my iPad pro that mag- that uses the magnets that would, that would be used for the magic keyboard, but it's for this stand and it's, Right. It makes it look like a little iMac kind of thing, a little foot sticking out from underneath it. I could totally see like a, c- a conductive surface on the back of this just providing power to the iPad. But again, it's what's the use case for it? Because if I'm using it this way, I'm using it at a desk with a key- cable connected with a keyboard or whatever. Like this is Apple leaning heavily into wireless. And unless they plan on coming out with a portless iPad, I don't really see the reason for it.
0: Yeah. And no, I mean, they just put USB C on. The iPad Pros and the iPad Mini. And like you were saying, we kind of have a smart connector that's wireless now. You know, I I guess you consider the Magic Keyboard, you can plug the USB-C charging cable into the Magic Keyboard itself, and then the iPad charges through the smart connector. So yeah, that's like kind of a
1: wireless, but... Well, wireless is a misnomer anyway, so a a wire is coming in from somewhere. If it's the stand or the iPad, you know, where's the cable, but... I could see a use case where something iPad Air, iPad Mini, uh could definitely use the iPhone version of the MagSafe puck and just slap it on the back. The batteries in those are huge, but they're not so big that I don't think that the current it's not going to be an issue, especially at 15 watts. It should be enough to float the battery. I don't think it's gonna be anything amazing, but yeah. it could just be a convenience factor. If you're filling your house with these MagSafe things, why not be able to just slap it onto an iPad to keep it alive or charge it when it's not in use kind of thing?
0: Yeah, my, my other thought, though, was like MagSafe accessories. Like, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. The new Belkin 3-in-1 that I got. You know, you wouldn't really be able to charge an iPad. Even an iPad mini would obstruct the other charging Uh, pads or charging areas of something like a Belkin 3-in-1 or even a Nomad type wireless charger. Those are definitely designed for iPhones. I think uh, we'd have
1: to see a rethink on if if we wanted it to be truly universal, Belkin would have to rethink how they position those. But I think Apple is doing what it usually does and isn't thinking about what other companies are doing. And they're thinking about what Apple's doing. And what Apple does is they sell a MagSafe thing connected to a cable and that's right. it. Ignoring the existence of that little folding guy that they pretty much got rid of already. But um, right. what was it, one hundred and thirty dollars for a-
0: the MagSafe Duo?
1: Duo, that's it. Yeah. Th-
0: now I will say the MagSafe Duo. I actually went on a little road trip recently. I bring those MagSafe Duos for my wife and I because if you have iPhone, AirPods, and an Apple Watch, it is pretty convenient. I mean, they're it's a good travel charger. Travel charger, yeah. Not for like a desk or a nightstand. It's not not great for that, but definitely like it for travel. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Masterclass. Guys, you've heard me talk about Masterclass before. I absolutely love Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere and at your own pace. You can learn scientific thinking from Neil deGrasse Tyson. You can learn about music composition for film with Hans Zimmer, acting from Samuel L. Jackson, and cooking from Gordon Ramsay. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, the thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I love Masterclass because you can do it on any device. You can watch their videos on your iPhone, iPad, they have an incredible app, even on the Apple TV, or just stream it in the web. Each lesson for a course is about 10 to 15 minutes long, so you can do it on a lunch break, or binge an entire class in a few hours, it would be worth it. One of my favorite classes is The Art of Negotiation with Chris Voss. I read his book, I've seen his TED Talk, but his Masterclass really gets into the details and teaches you how to communicate with clients, with bosses in the workplace. It's an incredibly valuable course, literally for anyone. If you ever have to talk to another human being, I recommend his course. The cinematography and quality of the videos are amazing. And if you do something like a cooking class, they have high quality downloads that is basically like a cookbook that you get when you take those courses. I also love watching them on my phone because then there's a little toggle where you can go into audio only mode and listen to a class just like a podcast, like you're listening to this right now. I highly recommend you check it out. You can get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. And you want to do that annual membership because then you can watch classes all this year, finally learn how to do the thing that you're passionate about. So go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider today. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, Mark Gurman also had some other things in the same newsletter. He said we should be seeing an updated iPhone SE with 5G. There'll be three new Apple Watches this year, which we've heard this rumor before, an SE Apple Watch Series 8, and this rugged version that we've heard rumored several times. But what I think is interesting is the iPhone 14 rumors. Now, actually, just before we recorded, also leaker Dylan DKT on Twitter corroborated this whole hole punch style iPhone 14. And that's the big change that's rumored is instead of a notch, on the iPhone 14 lineup will now go to a hole punch that just has the camera sticking out of this hole. And instead of a round, like a complete circular hole, the rumors now say that it'll be kind of a pill-shaped or elongated hole punch for the camera. And most likely, I would think the Face ID dot projector that actually you need for the Face ID thing. So it's an interesting renders. We have renders by our guy Apple Tomorrow on Apple Insider as well. So it seems like it's been corroborated by several sources about this hole punch in the screen. Yeah. The hole punch is probably
1: happening centered on the display. That's all fine. I don't know about this uh, pill shape. I think that image I did see it, it. I think that's just the casing without a display over it. And the display cover will actually just make it uh, cover on, like show only the camera. Oh, I Infra- see. Infrared's weird. I, I think it can go through without. I don't think it's going to be obstructed by this glass where they can at least code it or whatever uh, in a certain way to allow it to pass through. So I, I, I could still see this just being a simple circular hole, but You know, we'll see.
0: Well, actually, and as you say that, you know, if you have the attention aware Face ID unlock, which, if you didn't know, if you go into the settings, Face ID on an iPhone, you can choose to have to be looking at the phone to unlock it, or you can turn that off, and that's called attention aware. Your eyes actually have to be on the phone, and that works through glasses. I wear glasses, (laughs) and so Face ID works through that. So we can see your eyes through the glasses in your eyeglasses. So yeah, I would think a glass screen would be the same. It would be able to project through that without an issue.
1: They would just have to adjust for the refraction, I guess, but yeah, I don't right. think I don't think it would be an issue.
0: And then finally, from Mark German's newsletter, the Mac Pro and Mac Mini should be updated this year as well. These are some of the final computers to move to Apple Silicon, the larger iMac being one, the one model of Mac Mini that is still being sold on Intel chips that has up to 64 gigs of RAM and stuff like that still needs to be updated. And of course, the Mac Pro, but Apple Silicon version. German is actually saying the Mac Pro version with Apple Silicon could include a chip with up to 40. CPU cores, which is a 4X increase over the M1 Pro and M1 Max. Those have 10 CPU cores and a 128 core GPU. So if you do all the math, it'd be very powerful, especially compared to the new M1 Pro and M1 Max MacBook Pros. I
1: think you just took the number and multiplied it by four. Right. It could very easily be just like a a four CPUs uh, threaded together here. Uh, The M1 Max just I, I, I know the current ones don't have, like, uh, their the proper bus connections. I know Mike's really into this. Mike uh, at, uh Apple Insider, he's really into this stuff and can just look at a chip diagram and be like, I know exactly what everything here does. Um, <laughs> right. And he, he described it basically as, uh, right now, it looks like the M1 Pro and M1 Max don't have the connection points to, uh, basically put two of them together, but Apple can always build those in. So yeah, yeah. I I, I'm wondering if, uh, we get a new chip for the Mac pro and they call it something else. M one pro max is, uh, my joking name (laughs) here,
0: but, uh, yeah, combining all the words, but, um, they could also put a different letter. I mean, they could use a different letter for the Mac pro level. Stuff maybe even a larger iMac.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that would just complicate things again. I, I like we said before, the professionals who are spending fifty thousand dollars on an on a Mac Pro, they know what they're getting. They know what right. they're looking for. The the name is arbitrary, but Apple, from a marketing standpoint, I feel like they're going to keep it all the same. M ones across the line. M twos next year. You know. Yeah. I expect this to just be more M ones with some sort of like M one Ultra.
0: Right, an even bigger superlative name. Now, Mark Gurman is saying that we could see all of this stuff come out as early as WWDC this year. Most likely will be another virtual event, probably not in person. But even if it's announced at WWDC, I am imagining, like the last Mac Pro, it could be announced then, but be available in November or December time. We'll see. They could always surprise us and make it available this summer. But I imagine that Mac Mini, the larger iMac, And this Mac Pro, we're gonna see all of these this year. So if you've been in the market for a higher end Mac desktop, you want that Apple Silicon, like myself, I've been waiting for this larger iMac or maybe even the Mac mini. This is the year, 2022. We should be seeing all this stuff. It's gonna be at least the two year transition that Tim Cook had promised at WWDC 2020. At the latest, it would be the fall time. No, November is when the first M1 Max came out. And that's the two-year deadline that Tim Cook set for Apple itself. So yeah, we should see all this this year. It's pretty exciting.
1: Well, we could also see an updated Mac Pro with some uh, re- more recent Xenon processors and whatnot from Intel. True. Uh, just, just because it's uh, the, the final death throes of Intel giving uh, those guys who still need to boot into Windows and stuff something to have um, on on that end. Because when was the Mac Pro last really updated uh 2020
0: i think it was 2019 is the the last model yeah
1: right. So I I could see Apple throwing out just a maybe even like a subtext on a on a screen. They don't even say it on stage. It just says. By the way, there's also these new Intel Mac Pros. But oh yeah, I don't know. Did did you hear about Intel's uh, tantrums
0: uh, on stage? I heard Intel had like a super powerful chip or something that they announced. Oh no, it's not.
1: Well, it's the i nine. Oh, but just uh, the newer the another Lake version. Oh, I see. um, Alder Lake i nine. Anyway, this thing is supposed to Alkali Lake from X Men. No, Um, it's just another lake processor. We've been again, I don't fully understand the naming here, but these guys have basically been just newer versions of whatever they released in 2016 or so, and just overclocking and adding cores and overclocking and adding cores to try and compensate for, you know, this is why Apple dumped intel finally because we've spent the last five years with essentially the same chipsets and here we are again this i9 processor from intel and they're like hey guys look it's peak power is better than the m1 max but it's you know in the corner it says it takes the power of the sun to get there so <laughs> i'm i'm just not sure what intel's doing but every time they mention apple in, in a keynote or on an ad it's just shooting themselves in the foot they just need to pretend apple doesn't exist at this point because apple's doing the same to them it's not great it's not a good.
0: Yeah. Mic. What also, Apple, like in their M1 Pro, M1 Max event, they didn't really mention intel specifically they kind of just compared it to the top of the line windows pcs or they said gaming laptops kind of like a kind of like a general thing because it's not just intel that they're competing with anymore i mean amd the ryzen chips you know there are other competitors out there just intel and so i agree intel should not be mentioning apple specifically you know if they want to say this is the fastest chip in pcs or whatever which i don't know if they can say with all the amd stuff out there but yeah, they, they, as with the, what is it, the Jonathan Long commercials that they, right. those cringeworthy commercials that came out last year, like, just just don't. Just do your own thing, Intel. Just try to innovate and don't worry about what Apple's doing. It's hard to watch. It's it's, it's cringeworthy. It's,
1: I'm, I'm happy Samsung has taken a break from those anti-Apple commercials Intel stepped in. I'm sure we'll see more from Samsung once they have something to talk about. I'm, I, I mean, I imagine when Apple releases the folding phone or it, anything with a whole punch display, we'll get the, we did it first thing, you know. Sure. The problem is, is they're trying to be too serious about it it's like no no we're actually the ones that you should be thinking about when it comes to computers and it's mm, yeah sorry guys not quite
0: well especially as soon as someone gets real world experience with any of these machines i mean just something as simple as attaching an external display to an apple silicon computer as opposed to an Intel computer, the instantaneous on or like if you change display resolutions on an Apple Silicon Mac, just seeing the speed at which that stuff operates. That's what sells stuff to consumers.
1: Yeah, And don't get me wrong. There's benefits to using Intel eGPUs and such. Like there's a lot of sure. reasons why they still exist and why they're, they're a superpower. It's just when you're in this Apple world, comparing Intel to Apple is it's just not going to work now. Yeah. Windows side, very competitive and they're, they're very useful processors that are going to continue to exist somehow. I Intel's business model, they've cut everything out except for building stuff for windows at this point. Um, so let's just see where it goes, but yeah, yeah, they should just hush about Apple at this point.
0: Yeah. Well, and the last thing that we should be seeing this year in 2022 is a refreshed model of AirPods pro We did get a MagSafe case that's now included when you buy a pair of AirPods Pro. So Gary Gives, he's VP of Acoustics at Apple. He did an interview with uh, HiFi, or what HiFi is the website. I'll put the link in show notes. But he did a lengthy interview about Apple's AirPods, and he didn't really allude to anything about a future product but he did talk about the constraints of bluetooth when it comes to bandwidth and how that relates to lossless audio and so this was a big deal like when apple announced lossless audio and then even the airpods max headphones that everybody loves like does not have lossless and it was because the bluetooth connection is not sufficient to move that much data i.e. a lossless connection and so there was some math. I actually listened to the ATP episode, the latest one. They talked about these numbers specifically. But basically it says, when you look at a Bluetooth connection, which is what all AirPods now use to connect to your iPhone or your Mac, you get about 2.1 megabit data transfer over Bluetooth, even Bluetooth 5. And so it's not a lot of data that can be moved over that wireless connection. Lossless audio takes about 9.1 megabits per second. So you would have to have almost a 4x faster connection to actually move lossless audio data from your device to your wireless headphones. Well, the other wireless technology that Apple has at its disposal is ultra wideband. This is in the U1 chip that's found in AirTag and the iPhones now use U1 to kind of help with airdrop and stuff. And it would seem like Apple could use this for other things. And ultra-wideband can actually move data up to 600 megabits per second. I mean, that's a massive difference over Bluetooth and would be way fast enough to move lossless audio from your device to your AirPods. Yeah, but you're standing three feet away and there's no obstructions. Well, of. I mean, it, again, if you listen to the latest ATP episode, Syracuse says even the distance for ultra-wideband is pretty good. Just if, this is a what-if scenario, if Apple moved to a proprietary wireless technology, maybe it's not ultra-wideband, but it's some hybrid between Bluetooth and ultra-wideband, technically, Apple could provide lossless audio to AirPods, It would take new devices because none of the current AirPods have ultra wideband or anything in it. So it'd be new devices, but these new AirPods Pro, this could be one of the selling features. And not only would it be lossless audio quality for music and such, but one of the things that is challenging as a audio recorder or a podcaster is you can't use wireless headphones for monitoring yourself live because of the delay. There's a big delay As you talk into a microphone, and as that audio goes to your computer and travels over Bluetooth to your AirPods, you can't listen to yourself because it's super delayed. Wireless protocol as fast as ultra-wideband, like 600 megabits, it'd be such low latency that you could use it for live audio monitoring. So you could use your AirPods Max wirelessly or your AirPods Pro wirelessly and monitor your own voice and the other people, and it would make it so you can You know, if you're on the road or you just want to use wireless headphones because you're doing a video podcast, it would make live monitoring possible. So I think this is an exciting idea and possibly might be one of the features that makes AirPods Pro 2 desirable. Well, generally speaking, from the scientific side of this,
1: radio signals are all radio signals. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, U1, it's all just nomenclature piled on top of radio frequencies. So, you know, just getting... Past all the weeds of the naming, it doesn't really matter what it's called. Um, Apple could just come out with a codec, call it whatever it wants, and it's just a better bandwidth than Bluetooth. Right. I think I think a lot of people get caught up in the naming because that's just what the world you know we call everything Bluetooth. That's fine. We, or Wi-Fi. I think Apple could go Wi-Fi Spectrum here and give it a proprietary name, AirPlay. You know, uh, Air, <laughs> right. call it AirPlay Three, and right. just have their own very specific chipset that they've built. Apple could really disrupt this part of the industry for themselves. This is the problem because once Apple does it, yes, other competitors could tap into that frequency and call it their own brand name and throw it out there, make it compatible with Apple's uh, AirPlay 3 or whatever. Sure. But Apple, I I can tell you, whatever chip they make, whatever enhancements they do for these new AirPods or Beats products is going to stay locked in because we always hoped maybe this U1, this fast switching chip, h1 used in the airpods would be used in other things or a game controller or uh, a lot of a lot of people have talked about like different bluetooth accessories being able to use apple's proprietary chipsets for switching and getting synced over icloud and all of that and none of that's ever branched out and apple's kept it proprietary so we have to be careful here uh, it's a double-edged sword while i'm very much all in on apple and will definitely buy whatever airpods max or something can do these capabilities just wonder if Apple's going to play along with the industry and let anyone else tap into this or if it's going to remain proprietary. Because while these provide amazing technologies to us Apple users, I wonder what's it preventing us from getting like that fast switching game controller and stuff. It's just one of those things.
0: And supposedly, you know, ultra wideband, other companies can use things like the U1 chip. I think it's actually licensable for the companies to incorporate it. But if Apple went this direction and did some kind of proprietary wireless technology like Wi-Fi, like faster than Bluetooth, but you know better than Wi-Fi, which this is why HomePods have lossless audio is because they pull it over Wi-Fi and you can get fast enough data rates to do lossless. It would be curious if they continue to include a Bluetooth chip in AirPods, or will it just be this proprietary technology? And that would be unfortunate because I know like my son, who I got him a pair of AirPods three for Christmas, he will connect his AirPods to the Nintendo switch. Cause you can use any Bluetooth headphones with the Nintendo switch. You just pair it like any Bluetooth. Also. Cars use Bluetooth, and many other devices use Bluetooth for audio. It's an old technology, sure, but it's pretty universal. And so, I don't see Apple getting rid of Bluetooth. I don't. I
1: don't really understand how it's implemented, as far as like you know size and taking up space, right. power, or whatnot. But I can't see it being too complicated that they could just keep it on whatever chip that they produce for this new audio component. I'm I'm sure it will be a combination of whatever Apple proprietary networking. Plus Bluetooth, so yeah, you could still get that because Apple knows they have the numbers. Uh, how many people are buying AirPods because they're popular? Even if they have an Android phone, people are buying right. these things in right. droves. And Apple isn't going to lose that part of the market just because they want to, you know, be silly and lock the lock themselves into an ecosystem limitation. I, I don't see that happening for this device anyway.
0: That's true. Let us know, listeners, if that's interesting to you, or would you be tempted by AirPods with lossless audio? Again, there's a whole other argument to be made of like, can you even hear lossless audio difference? But we won't get into that in this episode.
1: Well, we've 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 established before, and I'm with you on this, that yes, while maybe we can't hear the mercury rising in a thermometer, we just can appreciate better audio quality right. and whether or not we can tell the difference, the knowledge that this is the best possible quality that human ears are going to get versus, eh, lossy bluetooth i'll take the former over the latter anytime even if i can't tell quite the difference there will be times that maybe it does come through and it's nice so
0: yeah and it's not just music as an application because with spatial audio watching movies and tv show a better transmit rate of a higher data rate for moving that audio from your device to your airpods could mean like a spatial audio 2 protocol that is better virtual surround sound or just a, a better experience
1: yeah this goes beyond even applications for headphones the uh, we're talking about Apple glass and stuff here in a little bit and heads up displays augmented reality headsets, headphones. All of these things need information. And the minute you have to connect a cable to get it uh, diminishes that experience. So right. Apple really needs to up its codec game as far as wireless transmission of video and audio. And I think we're probably going to see, again, I think it's just going to be called AirPlay 3 and mm. that new system, whatever Apple does proprietary or not, might be a game changer. Could be could be really interesting to see.
0: Yeah, AirPlay 3, that, that does make sense. This episode is brought to you by Truebill. Over the past couple years, you probably, like me, signed up for some streaming services that you should probably cancel or other subscription services you don't want anymore. But it's sometimes hard to figure out and remember all the things that you signed up for and you're paying for monthly. Well, Truebill is a new app that will help you identify and stop paying for all those subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap and your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. I have to tell you, I actually started using Truebill several months ago, and it's an incredible service. Yes, they will actually cancel subscription services for you. It's very private, very secure. They use Plaid to communicate with your bank or credit card info. And I even discovered that one of my subscription services, which is a storage unit, went up in price and Truebill notified me before the storage company. It's incredible. Truebill will let you know when subscriptions change prices, will let you cancel those and help you cancel them for you. Truebill has over 2 million users and helps save them over $100 million. It's like Jennifer B. who says, with Truebill's help, her family saved $587 a year on unnecessary subscriptions. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. Go right now to Truebill, that's T-R-U-E-B-I-L-L, Truebill.com slash Insider, and it could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Truebill for sponsoring this episode. I just want to mention these briefly some things that will be coming in the future. Now the Apple VR headset Mark Gurman is actually pretty convinced that we're going to see a VR headset from Apple this year, 2022. So we'll see uh, if that actually comes true. This is the year for VR
1: headsets. Uh PlayStation VR 2 was announced this week, not as a part of CES. Sony just snuck it out. Okay. Well, they've, they've been talking about it for a while, but they're revealing more information. Like each eye gets 4k high res 120 Hertz. It's the specs are insane. It's going to cost like $800. Probably. We don't know. <laughs> right, right, As the industry moves, you can kind of see hints of Apple creeping up in the background. Obviously Sony knows Apple's timeline here uh, or can guess, and yeah. they're trying to get out ahead of this thing because PSVR isn't doing great. Right. Oculus Quest is cheaper and more accessible because you don't need a PlayStation to get to it. And it doesn't have a cable attached to it. And exactly. Sony knows this. Yep. And coming out with a four or five hundred dollar headset. Right around the same time as Apple, that's terrifying. So, I would I would expect to see something from Apple too. And now I'm terrified because I want both of these things and I don't want to spend the money. So,
0: <laughs> right. Well, some things you won't have to spend money on this year. I, these are in the future, if ever. Guoming Chi saying a foldable iPhone, which we've seen some rumors before that maybe we'll see it in 2024. That's two years away. And then the augmented reality Apple glasses. This would be different than the virtual reality goggles that could come out this year, that Apple Glass is probably three years away, 2025, or even later. You know, I do think it was interesting, like I mentioned before, that TCL at CES announced that they are actually developing and have a pair of AR glasses right now. So that kind of makes it feel a little more tangible that we could see this in the next few years, but probably... Most definitely not this year, at least from Apple.
1: I think people need to adjust their expectations. They expect to get these AR glasses. We're dubbing them Apple Glass. John Prosser said the name. I'm sure. Yeah. Who who knows what it's going to be called? But these AR glasses they're not going to be like you put them on and you're a different world. That's virtual reality. And you're not going to put them on and suddenly instead of seeing a, uh, a bench, you see a couch, you know, it's not going to alter your reality, which is right. called a mixed reality glasses. Mm. These are, augmented reality, which as lame as it might sound, it'll be a game changer because you can wear it on your face. It'll be just like something like Pokemon Go, where you can just stick digital objects in the real world. It's going to be aware of your surroundings. Uh, We're expecting Apple to use LIDAR to Know what 3D objects are nearby, and can just adjust what is being shown to that, so that you get the right size object. Like so, you don't get a 25 foot Pikachu in front of you. It's (laughs) you know the right size. But it's not going to replace or overtake objects in the real world. Real worlds that would require more processing, more understanding, more cameras and sensors. This is going to be a little bit more rudimentary of. Uh, hey, an iMessage just came in. Want to read it. Here's the current playing music overlaid in front of you. There's a giant arrow pointing in the right direction for your maps directions. Right. That kind of information overlaid on the real world, not taking over the real world. Exactly. This, this this distinction is very important because people seem to think, wow, Apple could come out with glasses like that can just put me in the matrix like this is crazy. And it's no, not not quite.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or well, I wanted to mention some accessories that I've gotten and that have been announced recently and also have some follow up about iCloud folder sharing. But first of all, I got the new Belkin 3-in-1 MagSafe charging pad. With it's, so This is the Belkin Boost Charge Pro. And so this is a 3-in-1 charger for your iPhone. AirPods or just kind of a Qi charger in the middle. And then Apple Watch. Now I've had the Belkin 3-in-1 that looks like a standing tree. And I've used that for since it came out. Really love it still prefer it for some things, but the reason why I got this new Boost Charge Pro is it has faster charging for Apple Watch Series 7. Apple announced 33% faster charging with the Series 7, but if you use something like the older Belkin 3-in-1 or anything but a proper brick and the USB-C to Apple Watch charging cable from Apple, you don't get that faster charging. So this Belkin 3-in-1 supposedly gives you that faster charging for Apple Watch, and I will say, I've used it for maybe three or four days now, and I have noticed a significant difference in charging speed for my Apple Watch. I wear my Apple Watch to sleep because I do sleep tracking. And so it's noticeable to me because I charge it twice. I take it off as soon as I wake up in the morning and charge it as I get ready, brush teeth, shower, that kind of stuff. And then I will throw it on the charger at night. if I'm watching something real quick or, you know, like 30 to 40 minutes before I actually go to sleep and I'll charge it then. So it's never really sitting on the charger for more than an hour at any given time. And since I got the Apple Watch Series 7, charging it with the older Belkin 3-in-1 like tree-style charger, it rarely got to 100%. It did sometimes. If I took a little too long to get ready in the morning, I would see it hit 100% because you get that notification on your iPhone. But with this new Boost Charge Pro, this flat-length charger, it hits 100% almost every time I throw it on there and go get ready or throw it on there and go to sleep. And so that faster charging is definitely noticeable. Now, the design of this is a flat style. So all three devices are in a row. You got an iPhone MagSafe puck that's kind of elevated above the platform. You have a little indentation for AirPods. And then you have the Apple Watch charger. Now, if you wanted to travel with this or move it around, it's definitely more compact. The tree-style charger doesn't fold at all. You know, it just kind of sticks up there. But it does take up more surface area on a nightstand because it's laying in a row. The tree-style, you actually had your watch and phone floating, and then the base of that tree had the AirPods charging Qi place. And so when it comes to, like, functionality and design. I did prefer that tree-style charger, also because you could actually see your iPhone because it was actually being held upright at a slight angle, but it was being held upright. And your Apple Watch was being held upright as well, like elevated. So depending on how high your nightstand is, I liked the tree stand for that kind of visibility and because it took up a smaller surface area. But because I appreciate the faster charging and if I ever am in a hurry, and want to charge my Apple Watch as fast as possible, I do like that faster charging and I have enough nightstand area where it wasn't too much of a a hassle. And while I don't prefer because it's not elevating the phone or Apple watch, I do like this three in one. So it's 150 bucks from Belkin. It comes in black and white. Uh, It took a little while to get in because, you know, it's a new product, but I do like it. And so I'll be sticking with
1: it. I go through these chargers a lot, sometimes review units. Right now I have uh, Satechi's new answer to Belkin's three in one. I don't have the brand name in front of me, but it's just another one of those concepts where the Max. Safes hovering in the air. The Apple Watch is at the base, and the AirPods can charge on a little mat. Pretty handy. I I like this for my desk. It has the reflective aluminum, which is great because I have a, a black glass desk, so it kind of blends in. At my bed right now, I'm using. I, I moved my bedside chargers away, so I have to get up to access my devices. I don't want to. That's a li- that's a life hack. You got to get up to
0: turn off the alarm.
1: Yeah, Uh, because this this thing, it's the nightstand. N Y night nightstand. Uh, I reviewed it on Apple Insider a few weeks ago, continued using it at my bed. I I really like it. It's just a very clean design. And um, I like how the, everything's kind of laid out just very simply. And it has a USB-C thing that props the iPad up in the air Um, kind of thing, and that's what I use for my alarm clock is the iPad, so it's just nice to have it blends in a little bit, Um, whereas these things we're talking about, Belkin and Satechi and stuff, they're very industrial, techy-looking devices. Uh, Metal and aluminum uh, stand out a little bit more. I feel like those are good desk objects, you know, and like you said, portability-wise, I I don't really have any portable chargers right now that I I go to. I think uh, my favorite is uh, the one I I reviewed a few weeks ago. It's a GAN charger by uh, Charge Asap. It's, or not GAN, Actually, that it's even more ridiculous. It's a graphene battery, which can output like oh. 210 watts at once or something oh my nonsense. Because you can charge you can charge a MacBook Pro from it and it has a MagSafe puck for charging an iPhone. It's it's insane. Anyway, okay. Uh that Belkin thing though, I- I'm not a fan of the flat lay. I if I'm gonna have yeah. MagSafe, I want it to take advantage of the magnets, throw it up in the air a little bit, show off.
0: Yeah, I do like that. Uh speaking of MagSafe though, my wife I upgraded her to the iPhone 13 when it came out, and since then she has been missing a pop socket on the back of her phone. Now, I'm not a big pop socket person. I've actually never used them, but I know they're super popular. Many times they're built into the case for the iPhone or whatever case you're getting. And I got her an Apple Silicon case, which she likes the case, but no pop socket. But rather than stick a pop socket, like with a sticker onto the case, I did find a MagSafe pop socket. I'll put the link. This is on Amazon. It's like 30 bucks, which is kind of expensive for a pop socket. (laughs) Very very expensive. But it is MagSafe. It sticks to the iPhone really securely. And she really likes it. You know, you do have to take it off if you want to charge via MagSafe or if you're going to put it on a car mount that's MagSafe.
1: That's the beauty of MagSafe. It just pops off. But I actually got my mom one of these as kind of like a Christmas thing. Cause I got her, I upgraded her to an iPhone 13 as well. She got, she has the regular size iPhone, not the mini it's big, uh, it's heavy kind of for her. So I figured, you know, why not? She's never had pop socket before. Let her try it out and got her the, one of the MagSafe ones. And, uh, it's great. And it sticks on, it's a really strong grip. Um, very surprising that like, if you were like, wondering, Oh, well, you know, the point of pop socket is, is it's stuck to the phone. It can't come off. This thing is on there unless you just try to sling it across the room or something and right. it's that phone is not coming off. It's uh really cool. The only thing that you lose that other pop sockets can do is, uh, I've seen other people use pop sockets as like stands to prop a video up for like watching, right. watching a video and, uh, or portrait orientation on the desk or something. You, you can't do that with this cause it's centered perfectly in the back of the phone, but it is cool. Uh, I, I would never use pop socket, but I thought this was a interesting little accessory.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm gonna jump around here real quick. Marquez Brownlee actually tweeted a USB-C cable that he got that to charge a device like your MacBook Pro, it actually has a little LED screen on the end of the USB-C cable that tells you how many watts is being used for charging. And so if you plug this in to your MacBook Pro, you'll see 60 watts or however many watts it's being delivered. And you can kind of see like, how many watts is it charging with? right this second and his little led numbers uh has it on there now it's like because he tweeted it out and then i think um snazzy labs guy quinn nelson also tweeted it it is now out of stock can't get it anywhere <laughs> but i'll put a link in show notes in case it comes back in stock pretty nifty little feature i'm always pretty I'm not skeptical, but I'm very careful about the USB-C cables I use to charge my devices because you never know. But I figure if Marquez Brownlee and Quinn Nelson and a bunch of other people are now using this cable, we would know about any issues. So I think it's a cool idea. And you could see, you know, also your iPad mini or pro or air, you could see how many watts it's pulling as it's charged. So yeah, I thought it was a cool idea. Also, my last Apple product of 2021 was delivered, I think it was on New Year's Eve. I got the Apple polishing cloth, finally shipped. You know, it's still weeks out if you order one right now. But it's a $20 polishing cloth. It was a big deal a couple months ago. And I don't know, man, I will say it's fine as a polishing cloth. But after I heard John Gruber talk about this on the talk show, I had bought some Woosh polishing cloths and cleaner. Woosh, like W-H-O-O-S-H. I'll put the link in show notes. These are actually the polishing cloths and cleaners that Apple used to use in Apple retail stores. I don't know if they now have to use the Apple polishing cloth because it's like their own now, but compare the Apple polishing cloth to the Whoosh, especially for the cost. I actually think I prefer the Whoosh one. So I got it because it's an Apple product. It's got an Apple logo on it, and I kind of wanted to try it. But when it comes to actually preferring a polishing cloth, I think if you want to buy one, I would look at the Whoosh. Cloths and cleaning stuff.
1: I think it's a good meme. You know, f- haha! Funny Apple made a cloth and everyone bought it and it got sold out. But it's yeah. it's a piece of cloth, guys. It, it, don't <laughs> don't worry about it. You're not missing is. out. You're yeah. not missing out. It's a piece of cloth. You could go to Walmart and buy a similar cloth uh, for it's true ten bucks. So yeah, don't, don't worry about don't it. Don't
0: get FOMO. Don't get FOMO over it. I also wanted to mention as far as Apple devices over the holidays. I've talked about the AirPods. I got my kids. I actually got my parents their first HomePod. I got them a HomePod Mini. They did already have an Apple TV. They used that to watch all their stuff. They cut cable a long time ago. They have iPhones and an iPad, but this is their first like smart speaker. And so I set up the HomePod mini for them on Christmas and they've actually been really liking it. I showed them, hey, you can check the weather, you can play music, you can set reminders, and you know, a couple other things. And they've been using it. I also gave them a smart plug. I gave them a Wemo smart plug. as kind of their first smart home thing to try. I plugged it up to a lamp in their house and they said they've been really like really enjoying it. So. I don't know if you don't know uh, what to get. Yeah, someone who might not be super techie, HomePod Mini apparently liked by uh, by a lot of people. So there you go; they they really enjoyed it. Uh,
1: Another thing, I got my mother last year sometime. It wasn't a Christmas present, but yeah, the HomePod Mini she she loves it. She thinks it's hilarious. She forgets she can talk to it, but the fact that she can just walk up and touch it and it starts playing whatever she was listening to, she's all about it. So yeah, exactly. Really, really cool.
0: It is cool. Well, actually, had one piece of follow up I wanted to touch on because I was tweeting about iCloud. Folder sharing, and I've been using folder sharing with a couple non iPhone users. But someone tweeted at me and said, You actually need to have an iCloud account to access a shared iCloud folder. And I wasn't sure if this was accurate because I had been sending it to an Android user and they had been downloading the files without an issue. What I didn't realize is they actually were downloading it on a computer where they had an iCloud ID, like they have an iCloud account for something else. I think they might have a Mac as well. So I looked up the Apple support page and I'll put this link in the show notes as well. But you actually do have to have an Apple ID to download even a shared folder that you share via link viewable by anyone. Someone without an Apple ID can't download it. And I didn't, for some reason, I did not realize that this was a thing. And honestly, it's a big shame because I was really considering moving to iCloud Drive exclusively dropping Dropbox entirely. But unless they allow someone without an Apple ID to download files and folders, if you work with other people who are not in the Apple ecosystem, iCloud Drive is just not an option. You can't share a folder with a bunch of files that you just need someone to download uh, unless they have an Apple ID. And so I'm really hoping, maybe come WWDC or maybe in some update this year, that Apple opens that up, allow you to share an iCloud Drive folder just via link not require an Apple ID to download, like just put a download button on there. Don't require anyone to sign into anything. And that would make iCloud Drive then a much more viable option than it is right now without this ability. So just wanted to correct that and hopefully they change it this year.
1: It's just more evidence that um, Apple engineers collectively expect the world to live in Cupertino, California with the same weather and only talk to people who use iphones and that's their user base that's who they're designing for because if any of these people actually use these and a lot of these icloud features and sharing features in real world conditions it's a lot more messy and apple doesn't design for messy and i i wish they would start addressing these things because i mean i don't have that much need for file sharing but yeah there's there are points where it sometimes just Dropbox works better because yeah you you need an account just to download an iCloud folder or you can't do specific uh naming or link sharing and stuff like that with iCloud and all these are such strange oversights especially with uh wwdc 2021 being such a big focus on pandemic related features and social Mm -hmm. sharing and all of that stuff. And then you look over at iCloud and, and business and student applications and all of it's just still sitting there being ignored by Apple, unless you're an Apple consumer working with apple people uh, it's it's super weird (laughs) right
0: yeah well it's weird too because one of the big features was facetime you can now invite someone to a facetime call regardless of device they don't have to sign into anything you can send a link to a windows user to an android phone user and you can join a facetime call without having any kind of apple id and yet icloud folder sharing which has been out for several years still does not have that ability All right, well, I want to touch on this last thing. And this was announced during CES, but Google actually said that they are working on a new campaign called Better Together to try and make their operating systems, Android on the phones, Chromebooks, even Chromecast, communicate and work better together, hence the naming scheme. And features like the Google Bud switching. You know, right now, AirPods can switch from iPhone to iPad to Mac to even Apple TV pretty seamlessly, and that's, again, Part of because all these devices are in Apple's ecosystem. Well, Google's going to try and make some headway into that arena. You know, also things like handoff and continuity on Apple's side. They're going to be trying to do things like text message syncing which again, like Google's history with messaging services like Allo and Google Hangouts has not been the best. So we'll see how they actually manage to to do all that. But this is something that's needed, especially for Google to compete as far as a full ecosystem. I foresee some big challenges, especially with a majority of the Android phones out there are not Google Pixels. They're Samsung Galaxy phones and OnePlus and Huawei. And so they would have to really work with those device manufacturers to support all this better together ecosystem stuff, but it's good that they're trying to implement more of these things. But what'd you think about this, Wes?
1: It's just a very odd announcement to me. I mean, looking at Android and Chrome uh, ecosystems, Android Wear, which I always forget even exists, I'm surprised that Google's even bothering to announce this. Uh, This feels dead on arrival, uh, especially from a company who kills a lot of their products before they ever release. Just because you have to look at the technology that they're trying to implement here. Uh, how do people get this update? Is it going to be Android 16 comes out and you download it on what devices, the newest pixel, and that's it. I mean, you have to have the newest devices running their latest operating system, and maybe you'll get these features and maybe they'll get updated to to work together. It's just Android's such a fragmented mess that I... I'm Very curious to see if they can pull this off. I I hope, because uh, honestly, continuity and a lot of Apple's features there is the reason why I jumped ship from Android Windows back in like 2014. I remember that keynote when Apple showed off Universal Clipboard and showed handoff of apps, you know, typing a message, an email on your phone and it, and the draft box just showing up on your Mac when you sit down at it, that was magical. And that was eight years ago. And here we are, Google, I I think they've announced stuff like this before even, and it's just quietly got pushed to the back because how are they going to implement this? And I, and that's just one of the strangest things observing Google as a company is every time they announce something, they always seem to ignore or just hope people forget the fragma- fragmented nature of Android and its operating systems. How they—they're they, not going to—they don't describe how they intend to get this done because it's unbelievable. Uh, sorry. Just no, no, I get one, it. It's just one of those things where I want this technology to exist for everyone because it's amazing. But I—I'm just very curious as to why I even bother announcing it at this stage unless they're ready to ship it. And I don't think they're going to be ready to ship it. But Google usually does their keynotes shortly before Apple, uh, the Google, what it Google what is I.O. Called?
0: usually happens in May. Yeah,
1: Google I.O. So hopefully we see this in May and hopefully they have something shipping this fall. But again, it, it makes me wonder how many Android users are actually going to have access to this technology and what devices will you have to own to even get to do it? And that's kind of the, the sad part here is a majority of users won't even hear about this technology probably for another decade. And that's just how this ecosystem works. So unless they can figure out how to get better updating systems for main systems. Yes. Don't, don't tweet me. I know how Android update works. They do security patches and such for everyone. (laughs) I'm talking about Android, the operating system, the top level UI and GUI and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Like ask, ask everyone how material U is going um, on the (laughs) what five (laughs) devices that have it. It's just sad to me, honestly. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see again Google I/O, and hopefully that maybe they'll announce something big. Who knows? But we'll of course cover any of that that might come out. But let us know what you thought of CES, what you hope for for 2022. You can tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Thank you to those of you who have given a five star rating and review in the Apple Podcast app. If you haven't done that yet, it greatly helps the show. So go to Apple Podcast app on your iPhone, iPad, or your Mac. Hit the five stars and leave a little review. Just tell us what device you're looking for this year if you're not sure what to write, and that helps out the show. You can also support the show with $5 a month, either directly in Apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash appleinsider. You get an ad-free version of the show and early access, and it's great to be back in this new year. Again, tweet at us if you have questions for the show. We'd love to hear that as well. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.